321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today we welcome Bryn Panay Burkhardt. We first met Bryn during her 15 year career at the MIT Sloan School of Management, where she oversaw alumni career services. She is now principal and founder of Next Evolution Leadership Coaching and Career Management and is serving as an institute fellow at Simmons University's Institute for Inclusive Leadership. Bryn holds a BA in journalism from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and a master's in education in higher education from Harvard University's Graduate School of Education. She's a certified coach through the Coactive Training Institute and the International Coaching Federation. Bryn is gonna talk to us today about compensation, how employers determine compensation structures and how relaunchers should prepare for compensation conversations with potential employers. Bryn, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Hi, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this is such an important topic for relaunchers, and we really appreciate your expertise. And I'm just going to mention that we were so fortunate to have you partner with us last year at our virtual Return to Work conference, where you were a welcome speaker on day two in your role at the time um, at MIT. Um, And you also produced a couple of videos. One was about preparing for your relaunch and another was on compensation. So we know you have uh, special expertise in this area. And why don't we get right into it? Um, I want to start first by asking you, um, how do you define compensation? And what are the components that go into a compensation package? Okay. Well, compensation is monetary payment given to an individual in exchange for their services. So in the workplace, compensation is what is earned by employees. Now, when we look at a compensation package, it typically includes one or more of the following. So a base salary, right, which is your guaranteed income determined by the scope of your role. Mm -hmm. Then there are sometimes short-term incentives like bonuses, And those are based on either your individual performance at the company, or it could be based on the day-to-day performance of the company itself and given across the organization. There are perhaps long-term incentives like stock options or restricted stock units, RSUs, that will give you equity in the company, but those are typically not paid out until you've been there an average of three to five years. That's why they're long-term incentives. And a final component to a compensation package is benefits. So healthcare and retirement benefits are most common, right? Like a 401k plan, because those are giving your, you and your family security. There are also perks that some companies will throw in. Uh, childcare subsidies, free childcare, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Free meals, even uh, gym memberships, allowances towards your cell phone. You know, these things can add up and be a really nice value add to the total compensation package. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, when we used to go into the office regularly, there might be parking or public transportation subsidies um, also. As, Absolutely. As- yes. And dry cleaning. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things. Right. <laughs> so for our audience, so this is really important to recognize we're not just talking about the straight salary part of the equation here, that there are many more parts and it's worth making a list of all of these parts and and being aware of of what the options are because they're all part of the conversation. So Bryn, how do companies 
determine their compensation structure and the different kinds of, I know that you said bonuses, there's, there are like signing bonuses, there's bonuses, as you said, for individuals or team performance. How do they figure all of that out? So I'm glad you asked this because I think it is important for everyone to know that every organization has a formal process by which they determine what they're going to pay their employees. It typically goes like this. A company's compensation structure is defined by their compensation philosophy, and that is driven by the leader or the leaders of the organization. So companies carefully consider how they want to use their capital to attract to retain and promote talent. So compensation is a reward system used to get people in, keep people there, and to move people up. So company leaders set a vision for what type of talent they want to attract, how much they want to pay that that talent, how much they want to pay their employees, and how they want to pay how they want to pay their employees, meaning a combination of you know, base bonus, base long-term, whatever makes sense. That's going to depend on the life cycle of the company. And from there, they're going to create salary bands for different peer groups or levels that make sense for that organization. Companies will also benchmark their internal compensation structure that they've created against the marketplace. They want to ensure that their compensation offerings are enough, but not excessive. So to get an idea of how to pay their employees competitively, there are compensation analysts or they will hire compensation consultants to go out and look at where companies tend to recruit talent, where talent employees go after they leave an organization, and then they'll collect a lot of market data, proxy reports, SEC filings, 990s, published industry surveys and the like. They're going to take this information, they'll analyze it, and then use it to review their internal compensation structure against the market. So the bottom line is companies want to be comparable to their peers, but you know if they, they need to evaluate the financial impact of making any adjustments. Right. Wow. Uh, you don't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's been carefully crafted. And I think it is also worth noting that I mentioned that the compensation structure of a company will oftentimes reflect the life cycle, right? So a startup that is low on capital is typically going to pay below market value base salary, but they might offer, they will typically offer you above market equity, right? Maybe even founders equity. So mm -hmm. it's high risk, high reward. Um, whereas a mature company is going to pay high market value salary and will typically offer competitive short and long-term incentives. So it mm -hmm. just depends on their position in the market and where they're at in terms of their growth cycle. And, you know, this hot topic right now where can people live in different places and still work? And if they do live in different places, then does uh, the salary piece of the compensation get adjusted based on that new location? Because maybe cost of living is different there. That's kind of a newer part of the conversation now, right? It is. And I actually had the chance to listen to a compensation consultant earlier this winter. And this question was posed to her. It was in a conference I was attending. And this compensation consultant said that she projects that companies will still pay based on fair labor, not location, which I think is really important for people who are considering remote work. That mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter if they live, you know, in the middle of the country or in a more remote location, they should still be paid by what they bring to the table. I think one thing I would say that's really important for relaunchers to know is that maintaining the internal equity is going to be important for a company when they're hiring talent. So 
they want to they want to honor those salary bands and those pay grades that they've researched and crafted. So that's one thing that I think is important for relaunchers to understand. There is a there is some some factors here. There is a process, and so what they need to do is determine where they might fit in um, to that to that particular company's salary um, structure. I, I just want to highlight for the audience the, a little more on this point: maintaining internal equity. So that means when you come in at a certain comp- salary level, compensation level, it has to be appropriate relative to other people who are already in the organization and where they might be in terms of their um, salary or or compensation level. So, um, and that's kind of tricky territory because you could say that um, if if someone is maybe coming in what you consider below the salary and they say, we have to keep it this way because of um, equity inside the organization, then maybe you want to talk about, well, then can you give me a bonus? Um, so, uh, So there's something sort of outside that salary um, conversation that gives you that the kind of equity that you're expecting based on what you're seeing in the market. Yes, and that's and then that gets into salary negotiation, which is actually a whole different web, um, you know, podcast. Because <laughs> salary mm-hmm. negotiation contact con, um, conversations at that point, there is an offer. There's there's more you can evaluate. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I think as you are preparing to relaunch and you know you're going to engage in these compensation conversations, which I know are intimidating for people because money is hard to talk about. Um, I I think just knowing there's internal equity that will need to be maintained is a really good starting point. Mm-hmm. Great point. Um, okay, so now I want to shift the conversation from the employer perspective to the relauncher perspective because. This is a such a hot topic, such an important topic for relaunchers. Relaunchers want to know what steps can they take to understand their market value? They've been on career break for different amounts of time. Um, some people might be pivoting to a new career and coming in at a more entry level, but we also want to talk about the people who are returning to a well something um, similar to what they left. Uh, and everyone has this question, do I come try to come in at the same level? Uh, do you, should I expect to come in lower? And just wanted to know your opinion on um, when should they be researching this? What should they be reaching, researching? How do they get data and to understand this better? Okay, so let's unpack the question a little bit. So first of all, just as we talked about how companies do benchmarking to make sure they're paying their talent at a competitive rate. It's really important for relaunchers to invest time doing their own research and getting a handle on their potential market value based on their target roles, their target industries. Um, So the goal of research, because I think it's important, what am I trying to do here, is you're trying to establish a fair salary range so that you can then take that out and test it and have effective compensation conversations. Now, I would not do this research until you have some clarity or direction around your next steps. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps, you know, in industry or role or company that you want to target, you're going to want to reserve this for when you're prepared to start networking and effectively engaging in networking conversations. This means that you've done all of your preparation. I call it your groundwork when you're really clear on the skills that you want to be using, when you know your priorities as they relate to a job search, 
when you've taken the time to craft your your narrative, your pitch, when you've effectively positioned yourself on LinkedIn, on gotten your resume ready to go, then you're ready to do this from a place of strength, a place of confidence. That's really important. Okay, so in terms of data, where do I find, where do I start? Data points, okay. Right. So if you're looking to return to work in a similar role, um, perhaps your past salary, depending on how long you've been out of um, the the workforce might be a good comparable. At the very least, it's a starting point. So you're going to just want to be getting different data points. Um, of course, you'll find you'll want to find other points of reference. And if you're looking to pivot, as you mentioned, changing function or industry, you're going to have to find new data points. So one option is seeing if the major professional association or organization that represents your target industry or function. Um, is do they conduct salary surveys or publish salary reports? If they don't own these resources, they might be able to point you in the right direction. For example, I was just working with someone who is a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, and is looking to move <laughs> and wanted to find out, you know, what are salary ranges based on this geographic location? And so he went to the CFA Institute, which mm -hmm. is the accrediting body. So try and find like that larger body that governs your industry. That can be helpful. If you have a graduate degree, another place you could look is to your alma mater. Where did you graduate from? Undergrad and graduate school programs. Sometimes your career services office publishes employment reports. And again, if you're more seasoned or you've been out of school for a while, perhaps this isn't relevant. But I'll say during my time at MIT Sloan, I worked with dozens of relaunchers. And we always looked at the MBA employment report to get a sense of what's the current market value. That's really mm -hmm. helpful um, when you're assessing different industries. There are, of course, these online resources, um, mm -hmm. salary-focused platforms, Glassdoor, Payscale.com, Salary.com, even LinkedIn has a salary tool. Those are probably the major ones. There's lots of other little ones as well. And you can get data from these sites. However, what's important to know here is that the data is collected anonymously, so it can't be vetted, and it would not be a credible, you know, source of information. Perhaps if you're talking with a company, you can't say, you know, Glassdoor tells me that I mm -hmm. should be paid X amount. Mm -hmm. um, nevertheless, what we're doing here is we're getting lots of different points of data that you can then synthesize and kind of start to hone a fair salary range for yourself. So I would check out all those sites, enter, you know, yeah. kind of the criteria, um, see what spits back to you because all these different sites have different ways of aggregating and collecting data. Yeah, I think I'll just throw in, I think Fairy Godboss has salary information and there is, I thought it was government related, but it's the some the occupational handbook guide. It's ONET, O-N-E-T, um, also has hundreds or thousands of different um, salary data points, depending on what the role is. But again, I think that some of these are averages and they need to be, as you're saying, part of a bigger, it's one data point uh, from a number that you're, you're collecting to come up with this range. Correct. I, I mean, the Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes reports. To, so you can Google, you know, to your heart's content. I think the the point is just, first of all, always look at where they get, where they source their, their information from, because uh, as we know, the, you know, the web is a wonderful and dangerous place when it comes to factual information. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just to, kind of keep it, you know, keep it in mind. Is it, is it sussing out against all the other more reliable data that you're going to get? Um, 
so to that point, should we talk about reliable data? Because <laughs> I think we've talked about different different websites. Yeah. So we should talk about reliable data and also how you enhance that with maybe individual conversations you have with people who are in your market or in your field or maybe even in, in a company that, that you're going to be applying to. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when I talk about reliable data, it really is about talking to people. So in my opinion, um, the most valuable information can be found by having conversations. And you know, for example, external recruiters, they can be very knowledgeable about compensation for the various roles and the markets in which they specialize. So if you have relationships there or can get introductions, ask for a short conversation. Mm -hmm. Also, you could consider being a little bold, cold call, cold email. If you find recruiters that specialize in an area that you're targeting and tell them you're doing some research as you prepare to return to work after a career break, see if they'll give you 15 minutes of their time. You know, perhaps they'll be impressed by your diligence and give you some nice, good nuggets of info. I've seen it work before. And I always say mm -hmm. to my clients, you know, why not? What do you have to lose? So, exactly. you know, you can't be, can't be afraid here. You're going to, you need to own this, own this mm -hmm. search. And so get information as you can and recruiters are, are um, great, can be great sources of information. But to your point, Carol, I think your best bet is by doing informational interviews with former colleagues or people in the industry or the companies you're targeting. Because these are personal conversations, you can often yield some really excellent and reliable anecdotal data. Relaunchers should be thinking about, right, act, um, they're going to actively be identifying the work they want to do, and they need to be identifying the people in their network who can help them understand the lay of the land. So I encourage my clients to capitalize on networking conversations to get salary data, asking a neutral question like, what are your thoughts on the compensation level for someone in this role? Mm -hmm. right? That's a perfectly reasonable, fair question. Asking something like, you know, are there any insights you can share about your company's compensation philosophy or structure that would help me as I'm preparing to go back to work? That's a really nice way to tee it up. It's not invasive. You're not asking mm -hmm. someone, what do you make? Right. But you're just trying to to get the range. You could even share, you know, I've been doing some preliminary research. Here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? Any reactions to that? Mm -hmm. So you're using them to kind of help you again. You're wanting to get to a point where you can get to that fair market range. So you'll want to synthesize all these different places that you're getting information, even put it together in a chart. I'll have my clients kind of chart it out from low to high, you know, and that way you can start to get closer to a, a fair range that you can then go and test out when you're in compensation conversations. Right. So, and maybe the two outliers, the high and the low, you throw it out. And so that, that gets you um, more uh, focused on, on uh, a narrower range. And I just want to um, make a comment when you're saying informational interviews with some people, it is just, it's a conversation, you know, you're calling up your, your old buddy from, um, you know, college or, or um, someone that who you used to work with. And you can just say something broad, like, can you just give me a ballpark range of what someone might be making if they're, let's say, a third-year associate or a vice president in uh, corporate finance in an investment bank, and see what the person says. They might yeah. they might give you a range. Again, like you're saying, Bryn, it's not you're, you're not saying to the person, "Tell me how much you make." You're asking them for some sort of uh, ballpark and range or estimate. 
Right. And it, and of course, this will depend on the rapport you've established. If this is someone you know well, you know, it's going to be easier than someone that perhaps has, you've been teed up, you're a second degree connection, you know, or some, if I guess I'm using LinkedIn terms, but you've been introduced, right? You don't know that person yes. well. Exactly. Um, but, but you can still ask those people that question. It's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think people wouldn't be offended at all by, they wouldn't think it was an inappropriate question. Correct. Correct. They can decide how much information they want to reveal or not, but it's not like they, they would be like, whoa, I can't believe you asked me that. I think they might expect to be asked that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, All right. So can you talk about this concept of um, employers and relaunchers being on the same side of the table for compensation uh, discussions. Like, what do you mean by that? I've heard you talk about that. What do you mean by it? And why is it important? Sure. Okay. So, so often, I think, as I mentioned, it's intimidating to come back after a career break and talk about money and think about advocating for yourself. And I think most people start to assume that conversations, salary conversations are going to be oppositional that that recruiter or that hiring manager is going to lowball them, right? Or they want to get, you know, they want to hire them as cheaply as possible. And that causes the, you know, I guess the relauncher in this case to be, feel like they have to be guarded and really hold tight to their, to their position. And that's just not productive. So one of my key pieces of advice here is assume good intentions, Mm -hmm. assume good intentions. So know that while recruiters do need to maintain internal equity, they will try to be flexible more often than not. If you are a desirable candidate, Hiring managers want their potential hires to be happy about their compensation package. They want you to come in and be motivated to perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. So most recruiters, and of course, there's some exceptions to this, but most people really are not trying to get you as cheap as possible, but they are going to have to maintain that internal equity that we discussed. So when I talk about getting on the same side of the table, you know, I think about these two people negotiating on opposite ends of the table. And what you want to do is you want to bring goodwill and good faith to the conversation. Assume good intentions and know and, and believe that that recruiter really is motivated to have a constructive, collaborative conversation around um compensation. In fact, one piece of dialogue that I recommend when you're asked about salary expectations is to say something like, I appreciate your asking. I know it's an important subject for both of us. You know, this signals that you're prepared. It's a business conversation. And, you know, I, let's have this discussion. Um, it's a very, it's a confidence play too. So mm-hmm. I think it's really nice to have some receptive language when you're asked about money rather than panic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so having, having kind of that confidence play, it, it also helps you build rapport Uh, with that company representative or to whomever you're speaking. And likability is a really powerful factor when it comes to kind of your leverage there. So Mm -hmm. by being receptive, you are, you are showing, okay, let's have this conversation and it can lead to easier, more successful uh, compensation conversations. So Bryn, I'm going to ask you about some specific scenarios that pertains to relaunchers in a minute, but I'm just curious I love that language that you just mm-hmm. used. I want to know if you can repeat it one more time. Sure. And then can you t- say what happens after that? Do you, and like, how do you not, that you're always given that advice, don't put, don't say the first number, but like, how do you handle the next part of the conversation? Okay. All right. So, so first of all, a disclaimer, 
compensation is a complicated subject <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's no one size fits all here. Okay. So these discussions are going to be highly individual. They're going to be tailored to your specific situation, um, to your background, to your career objective, to the company's compensation philosophy, um, what, what conversations have already occurred, you know, who the players are, et cetera. So bottom line, context is important here, but mm-hmm. I have a simple formula that I often advise clients to use in compensation conversations that can help better leverage um, those discuss- these discussions. So when you're asked a question such as, what are your salary expectations or what might you be looking for in a base salary? You want to acknowledge the question by responding with a statement. So that statement I just gave you that you wanted me to repeat, which was, mm-hmm. um, I appreciate that you're asking. I know it's an important subject for both of us. That could be your first statement back. So you're acknowledging that the question was answered. Then you're going to open up the conversation by asking a question of your own. So the formula would be make a statement, ask a question. Mm -hmm. So, well, I guess let's talk about a a specific scenario (laughs) because the question that you're going to ask back is going to be kind of motivated by where you're at. Okay, so I have two scenarios. One of them is, and this is clearly scenarios that are specific to relaunching. So one is has to do with being in a return to work program, a formal returnship or other kind of return to work program at a at an employer, and the other one where where there is no program. So the first one is um, I'm applying to and actually I'm being accepted by a company returnship program. And let's say they're, they're telling me that everyone's getting paid like $37 an hour because they've actually changed it into an hourly format. And we can talk about the different ways that returnships are um, compensated, Uh, but a flat compensation level for let's say 16 weeks. And then I would be hopefully converting, if I do well, converting into a full-time job and having some sort of negotiation at that point about what level I'm converting at at what and at what compensation. And I will give the caveat that there are some return to work programs that where you're just, re- you're just applying to the program and others where you're actually applying to a specific role that's already at a particular level. But let's say I'm I'm in a role category. That's kind of in between. I'm in a role category for a flat compensation level during the internship. And then I'm going to be having that conversation uh, converting to the full-time job. Okay. All right. So because at this point you're in kind of the final stages, right? You, you're, you've been there for 16 weeks and I hope you've utilized those 16 weeks to, as you said, kind of gain some more insight into what a full-time offer might be or the range of the offer. Um, but in this, in this scenario, you have credibility. You're, you're obviously, you've been performing at an optimal level since you're taking, you're talking about full-time employment. And I'm going to assume that this person is motivated to stay with the firm, right? But they Mm -hmm. want to maximize their compensation. So if they are asked about their salary expectations, um, I think you want your statement, right? We're going to go back to that statement question formula. Their statement wants to show your interest and confidence in the role. So perhaps you want to say, you know, for example, what are your salary expectations as we discuss moving you into full-time employment? And of course, you could say, you know, thank you so much for asking. It's important to both of us. I would then say something like, I've enjoyed my 16 weeks here. 
Mm-hmm. I am confident that I can come in and add immediate value and leverage my expertise in XYZ, right? Or you could highlight your skill set, remind them that, you know, you've had some wins during this returnship, um, demonstrate your skill set relevant to the position, and basically say, you know, I know I can add a lot of value to this role. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that might be your statement. And then I, I think you should Embrace these money conversations because it is your opportunity to anchor yourself. Mm-hmm. So let's say you've done, you have an idea of a range. So let's talk, let's talk a range. Okay. So you could then say, my understanding from conversations I've had during the course of my returnship and other research I've done is that a salary range for this position would be around 90000 to 110000 a year. Then comes your question. Can you give me a sense of how that might fit within your compensation structure or the company's compensation structure? So you're testing things out here. And the, the beauty of asking a question is you're volleying it back and you're asking for their point of view, for their perspective. So the conversation is collaborative. Mm-hmm. It's a back and forth. You're getting on the same side of the table to go back to the to the previous question. You're showing, okay, can we... I, this is what I see. What do you see? It's very, it's not, you know, it's not oppositional. It's collaborative. And this, it's also key um, at this point in the conversation, because you are so far along, to demonstrate that you understand that internal equity is important to the company and you want to respect that, right? So the, you use different language, but once you're, once you're at the kind of the final stages, that's where you want to say, you know, I, I know you need to honor that equity structure within the organization, but here's what I see. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I have a few questions for you. Mm-hmm. So in th- that example you just gave, the relauncher is actually saying a number, like a range and putting that out there first. And so are you saying that that's okay to do because it's a range and it's based on some external data collection as well as conversations in the company? And that kind of from a negotiation standpoint still puts you in a strong position? Yes. And I know there are opinions on whether or not to to answer. There's a lot of people who think, well, let's stonewall. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I think it does you no harm to respond with real numbers and give a range. You're always going to be working with a range. And so I would rather you use like or earn, rather earn kind of these relationship points I talked about because that likability factor. I'd rather you earn relationship points by giving a response with a fair range rather than dodging the question. Right. You know, and at that point too, HR and they want, they need this information. So you don't want to, they're not, they want to make sure they're, we're playing in the same ballpark. I mean, it's a little different. You've been in the returnship program. It's not like you're all of a sudden going to ask for this exorbitant amount of money, but they also want to ask, you know, what are you expecting? Yeah. So to that point, if you said 90 to 110, um, and that was off the mark, you know, and they said, well, that's actually not within the band. Then you use the statement question formula again and say another piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. I could offer would be something like this. Well, I'd like to come in at a competitive level and be situated to succeed. So could you give me a sense of the compensation range for this role? So that's your statement. You're still saying, I want to come in at a competitive level. What's the range, right? Or you could say another question you could ask would be, could be from your perspective, what parameters do we need to work within? 
So again, you are saying, you know, okay, it's too high. I still want to come in at a competitive level. So what do I need to know? Mm -hmm. You're being a team player. It's very Mm -hmm. collaborative. It's very congenial. Yeah, I think this is a great approach, especially given the fact that you've already been inside the company and you've had this returnship and you've had this incredible opportunity to have transitional support and mentorship and all that programming piece in addition to a paid role. So the idea that this is a collaborative conversation, I think really is important um, for the relauncher in the process. And I just want to remind the the relaunchers, um, the company wants you to succeed. They want you to convert. And as you're saying, Bryn, they want you to feel like you're converting um, on fair terms. Correct. Absolutely. So assume good intentions. <laughs> right. And then the other thing I just want to point out is that relaunchers will tell us they feel they have more power in these conversations because during the returnship, they've not only proven to the employer, they've proven to themselves that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other piece about that, and this is a very hot topic on the employer side right now in terms of level and compensation when people convert, is that uh, both the employer and the relauncher tend to be kind of risk averse. And the relauncher might be thinking, yeah, I, I, I've proven myself, but you know, I, I did take a 10 year career break. And so maybe I should come in at a slightly more junior level. And the, the employer might be thinking, well, we want to set the person up for success, you know? So sometimes there's some, they err on the side of a little bit more junior. And then th- what happens is the relauncher progresses at a faster rate than the relauncher or the employer anticipated. And one of the things we're talking to employers about is, is part of being in the returnship program, some sort of level adjustment that might be off cycle, you know, once you, once you convert, but that's, that's another, uh, another conversation, but I just wanted to put that out there that these are conversations that are going on inside companies that offer these programs. Can, can I respond to that? I think absolutely. one thing I have advised relaunchers before when they're negotiating, and remember, this is really like broader compensation conversations we're talking about today. Salary negotiation is, there's some different tactics here, but one of the negotiating tools I've had relaunchers use is say, could we look at this after another three months or six mm-hmm. months and do a salary review? Um, I do find overall in this just overall, that if you take a salary range that is beneath you, you're going to feel resentful. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard. I know when you've been out of the workforce for a while, you're just so happy to be paid. But there's some gut instinct too, Carol. You know, you kind of right. know when, you could, when you're worth more. So really pay attention to that. And, yeah. you know, don't ignore that because it will, it will come back <laughs> if you end up accepting a role at a, at a salary that you know is less than what you're worth. Right. And, and relaunchers will say, be a little bit aggressive with yourself and your expectations of yourself and don't be so risk averse uh, and, you know, see what that conversation yields uh, with the employer. Uh, it could be that you're still in a situation where um, the employer is saying, Let's go with this level right now. But as you're suggesting, Bryn, we'll have another conversation about it in three months or six months. Um, or maybe they're, they're, the employer is going to push too and say, let's, you, you know, you can do it. Let, let, let's let's um, have you convert at this higher level. And I also think that the more experience employers have running their returnship programs, then the, the more 
open they are and comfortable they are with being aggressive about uh, having relaunchers convert at that higher level because they've had experience with what happens um, after um, relaunchers have, you know, that ramp up period of them being um, uh, in the role for a while. So all of those are super interesting. Um, it is. There's one more scenario I want to talk to you about because many uh, people in our audience and many relaunchers return to work without the benefit of a return to work program. I know I did when I went back to work, there, there was not a program. Um, so let's say there's no program. Um, and I, I'm the relauncher. I haven't worked in 10 years. Um, I, I live in a state where it's not legal for the company to ask me what I made um, it be, like before in my pre-career break role. Uh, and maybe I'm trying to weigh in my mind, do I come? I don't have the benefit of a returnship or some sort of interim program to test what level I should be at. I'm not really even sure in my own mind if I should be coming in at a more junior level or come in sort of right where I left. Um, any comments there about the conversation that they should, relaunchers right. should be having? Yes. Okay. Well, of course, as I mentioned earlier, you're still going to want to have had some sort of thought process around, you know, the skills you want to be using where compensation factors into your priorities for getting back to work. Um, Carol, I'll, I'll reference the three C's. It's four C's now. Four C's, sorry, four yes. C's. Yes, that you talked about that is so valuable and I have used when I'm coaching relaunchers. So thinking about, you know, the culture of the company, the compensation, the content of your role, and the control that you have over your schedule. And, exactly. And, you know, as you've said, you're never going to get all four. So, but you want to kind of think about what, you know, the priority order here. Uh, let me just make a comment on that. So we say um, you shouldn't have to trade more than one C to get back on the career track. And if you're, you're perceiving that you're trading the compensation piece, you will make up that compensation over time. So yes, you may get all four C's ultimately, but sometimes in the, the step of the actual relaunch, you have to um, give up one temporarily. Great. Yes. That, thank you for clarifying that. That makes, um, that's very true. So, so for this scenario, you have an idea of, you know, what you want to be doing, where your priorities are, and you will have wanted to do some preliminary market research. So you have some sort of, of way to anchor yourself. So again, let's say um, there's different stages, right? So let's say you're, you're kind of an active candidate. You see a role. You're having a first conversation perhaps with a, with a recruiter. And they say, you know, what would you be looking for in a, in a salary? Here you're going to use that statement question formula again. And your statement could be something like this. Well, I've done some preliminary research, and what I'm seeing is a range of anywhere from 80,000 to 100,000 mm -hmm. base for this level of a role. Can you give me your thoughts on this? So again, it's a very, it's an introductory conversation. You don't have to think about internal equity. You're just trying to test it. You're testing the market. So that might be a really nice way to start the conversation and then see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. the, the beauty of the statement question formula is you can keep it going back all day long. So right. for someone that doesn't have a background or hasn't had proven credibility at a company, you just kind of want to put it out there and see the reaction. You can always, you know, say that, I don't know, you could always say for these roles, you know, I've been, 
I've been talking to friends and family and I've got some anecdotal data. So this is where I've been grounding myself, but I'd appreciate your reactions. Mm. What, what do you see from where you sit? I like that. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, wow, Bren, so much excellent information here. And I love the detail, the uh, the scripting, the actual language that people should be using. And I'm sure our audience is, is gaining tremendous value from this. So thank you so much. I want to uh, close by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Okay. Well, I listen to your podcast. So I always, I knew this question was coming <laughs> and I've always, I've always thought, what would I want relaunchers to know? Okay. Mm-hmm. What I know for sure, here's my advice. It's a little long, but oh. what I know for sure in working with relaunchers is that the three keys to a successful return to work are this preparation practice and confidence. So if you do your preparation, all that groundwork I talked about, you understand those core competencies and your priorities, you're tending to your branding and your positioning so you can, you know, kind of be be more grounded in confidence and you can attack this return to work from a place of strength. If -hmm. you then make time to practice Practice, practice, practice your stories out loud so that you own them in your voice. You really own it. And by stories, I mean your pitch, your answers to potential interviewer salary questions, right? Then you can conduct your relaunch with clarity and confidence. Confidence is key. You know, you don't want to, I always say, you don't want to wing this when you need to nail it. So Mm -hmm. preparation, practice, and that's going to breed confidence. Mm. Great advice. Thank you so much. Bryn, how can our audience find out more about your work at Next Evolution? Sure. Well, I'd invite people to go to my website, which is nextevolutioncoach.com. All one word, nextevolutioncoach.com. And they can find out a little bit more about me and, and the work that I do. Um, I also have a company page on LinkedIn. I'd invite you to follow me there. And that is Next Evolution Dash Coach if you go to LinkedIn. Or you can just type in Next Evolution Coaching. It should pop up. Great. All right, Bryn, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Cow. I love the work you're doing. I believe so strongly in it. So all the best. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.